0: Hello and welcome to The Spike Podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and with me today are Spike's deputy editor and host of The Last Order's podcast, Tom Slater. Hello. And Spike columnist, Ella Whelan. Hi. This week on The Spike Podcast, we discuss Trump's rhetoric, the return of blasphemy and if vegans can take a joke.
1: Our president cannot escape special scrutiny. Filling the airwaves with heated rhetoric, violent imagery, and conspiracy theories. People are listening, and worse, some are acting on
0: what they hear. Donald Trump used the name George Soros for the first time in his presidency, and the
2: guy had a pipe bomb in his mailbox last night. The media also has a responsibility to stop the constant false attacks.
0: The United States is still reeling from a week of terror. First, pipe bombs were sent to leading Democrats and prominent critics of Donald Trump. Then, in Pittsburgh, a gunman opened fire on the Tree of Life synagogue, killing 11. It's been dubbed the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in American history. Many saw one thing to blame for these horrific attacks. President Trump. He's accused of inciting violence with his angry, divisive rhetoric. But is it actually right to say Trump is inciting violence?
1: I don't think it is right to say that Trump is inciting violence. And I actually think it's a really dangerous road to go down. First of all, because you end up absolving the people of responsibility for these attacks or attempted attacks, whether it's Caesar Sale, the guy who sent those 21 pipe bombs to various critics of Trump, or it's Robert Bowers um, who committed, allegedly at this point, we should say, given the investigation is ongoing, that horrific Slaughter at the synagogue in Pittsburgh to suggest that Trump's rhetoric is to blame for those, I think, absolves them of responsibility. And I think it also gets into a very dangerous climate in which you're effectively calling heated political discussion a form of incitement. I mean, this is a point that Wendy Kaminer, no fan of Donald Trump, um, made on Spike this week, insofar as it's a very dangerous road to go down to suggest that the, just the overheated rhetoric of Trump, his bluster, say, against the media, or um, as some would see it, his um, dislike of George Soros um, feeding a kind of anti-Semitic Feeling within the country, um, I think, could very easily be used to chill discussion. And I think it's actually being quite cynically used to just score points against Trump um, by some people who just never liked him in the first place. I understand that, particularly in the case of the synagogue shooting, which was huge, horrendous, and incredibly unexpected. And I think there's a lot of people who are obviously very upset about that but there's a lot of commentators um, some of which in Britain some of which across the world who are just jumping on this frankly Mm. to score points against their favorite target and that to me is incredibly grim it doesn't get to the bottom of the problems of say anti-semitism in America what's driving that as it is around the world it doesn't make us understand better why this pipe bomber was doing what he did it's being used cynically um, and I think people should be ashamed for doing that.
2: I mean, even on a a level of the facts, uh, it doesn't really hold up that Trump has been directly inciting people like Cesar Sayoc. I mean, in 2002, he was arrested for threatening to blow up a power utility company. So this Mm. is someone Mm. who is known to the police uh, long before Trump came on the scene is into explosives. Uh, And, you know, the fact that he lived in a van covered in Trump stickers and didn't like Democrats isn't um, a reason to then point the finger at Trump. He should be very careful about that in relation to the synagogue shooting, uh, I just want to read out what Dr. Jeffrey Cohen, who was the president at the general hospital that uh, Robert Bowers was taken to, and many of the victims of the shooting were taken to. um, He said, I thought it was important to at least talk to him, Robert Bowers, and meet him. You can't on the one hand say that we should talk to each other and then uh, I don't talk to him. You should lead by example and I'm the leader of the hospital. I just thought that was a really important and great thing to say amid all the discussion about how we should be clamping down on speech. You know, the protests Mm. against Trump when he went to eventually visited the synagogue were saying Mm. words matter. You're not um, welcome here. You need to speak out against white nationalism before you're allowed to come here. And for uh, a Jewish doctor who had to treat and help the murderer, alleged murderer, um, of people in his community to defend speech at that moment, I think means that everyone else who is attacking it is a coward. I think
0: that's right. And on this question of anti-Semitism as well, mm. there seems to be this sense from a lot of the commentary that anti-Semitism suddenly emerges out of the blue with the election of Trump. It's quite a bizarre take that really downplays you know, the existing anti-Semitism in, in the US and particularly the growing anti-Semitism in, in Europe as well. The comedian Samantha Bee has labelled the following phrases as anti-Semitic dog whistles. She says that if you use the phrase globalist, mm. if you use the phrase coastal elite or Hollywood liberals, then you are effectively you know, dog whistling to anti-Semites. So it becomes quite clear that even the scourge of anti-Semitism is being used just to score points against Trump. I mean, it
1: certainly feels like that. And again, just to go back to the evidence that we have, if you think about Robert Bowers, um, he posted on Gab, this social media site, which is because it has no controls on speech, has become, unfortunately, a bit of a meeting point for a lot of white supremacists and neo-Nazis. Criticising Trump because he was giving too much role to, you know, the the Jewish lobby. He has this orthodox Jewish son-in-law, a Jewish daughter, very, very pro-Israel. Um, And whilst you could potentially um, level criticism at Trump for maybe kind of feeding too much of that far right trope, which is effectively that, you know, these global interests who all happen to be Jewish are kind of, you know, bringing immigrants in, etc. The extent to which Trump's discussion of the caravan, the Central American migrants who are heading for the border is somehow being funded by Soros, etc. You know, we can criticise that. Mm. But I think to suggest that he in and of himself is... Explicitly anti Semitic, and that he's causing these attacks, I think is incredibly. Short-sighted. Now, I get that in America, because they haven't experienced the kind of slaughter, frankly, of Jewish people on their soil that has been happening in Europe increasingly over recent years, that this has come as a bit of a shock. Um, and I know that a lot of people are trying to look around for what the causes of this are. But I think the people who are really beneath contempt in this discussion are the kind of more international commentators, the people we see talking about this in Britain, the people we see talking about this generally, who are suddenly speaking in very damning terms about the rise of anti-Semitism, allegedly spurred on by trump but have been almost entirely silent about some of the most horrific attacks we've seen recently across europe you know this year a holocaust survivor was stabbed to death in paris mm. we never talk about that that was not international news for days and days and days you know the um jewish deli that was shot up in 2015 following the charlie hebdo attack the attack on the um, synagogue in copenhagen and also one of the standout cases which Brendan O'Neill, our editor, wrote about this week um, was the Toulouse shooting in 2012, where a French Algerian Islamist, effectively, as part of a broader rampage, rolled up at a Jewish school in Toulouse, opened fire on the playground, killed a rabbi and his two sons, then grabbed an eight year old girl by the hair and shot her point blank range. We don't talk about those cases. Mm -hmm. And I think the extent to which it feels like because those cases are, for whatever reason, more touchy to talk about, they often involve Islamists. And so that's always a far more difficult discussion for some people for some reason. Um, To now hop on this issue, to pretend like they care about it deeply, given the fact that you mentioned those cases to some of these people and they probably wouldn't even have heard of them, I think speaks volumes about a lot of the hypocrisy in this discussion.
0: Let's go back to this free speech question, the question of Trump's rhetoric.
2: Look, I've been thinking about this. And while we're absolutely right to denounce, the, frankly, the idiots who seem to be wanting to directly link Trump with the actions of these deranged individuals, which I think any sensible person would see um, is is not a sensible thing to do. On the other hand, the the kind of the tenor of the discussion about free speech in uh, America and also over here in the UK is giving rise to some kind of uh, quite an ugly situation. So I think people don't realise the more that they call for speech to be censored mm. and the more mm. they say that uh, these kind of views should be driven un- underground, shouldn't be allowed to see the light of day, um, the more credence and glamorization and importance you give to these kind of nutballs. Mm. Yeah. Having said that, uh, it's important to note that President Trump himself is also a uh, complete travesty when it comes to defending free speech.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's really true in, the, in this question of civility, you know, mm. whether we should tone down the language. It's really clear that absolutely everyone can play that game. It's not just the liberals calling on Trump to tone down their language. It's also Trump calling on the yeah. press to be quiet, exactly. stop criticising him. So, you know, there's no real winner in this. Now, some Democrats have said they don't want to be civil um, Hillary Clinton says you cannot be civil with a party that wants to destroy what you stand for. And uh, Nancy Pelosi promised she'd turn down the rhetoric when we win the midterms. So there is this kind of sense that it's OK for one side to be uncivil. It's not OK for the other when actually, you know, we should have free speech across the board. Exactly. And people can be as inflammatory as they like.
1: Yeah. And and this can cut both ways. I mean, it was only last year that that Republican congressman, Steve Scalise, was shot at a baseball game by a Bernie Sanders supporter. And everyone on the right jumped on that and said, effectively, you know, they're stirring up hatred against Trump and Republicans. And what do you expect with all of this overheated rhetoric? So it's so easily used by the other side. But just to sort of bolt on to a point that Ella made, um, what's really interesting and concerning is this discussion, particularly amongst U.S liberals quote-unquote about social media's role in all of this Um, because there's obviously been a kind of quite sustained campaign to kick a lot of not just fascistic or neo-nazi but kind of right wing hard right conspiratorial people off of sites like facebook off of youtube off of all of these different platforms Um, And now a lot of this concern about Gab, which, as we've heard about a lot in recent days, has become, frankly, from what it seems, a bit of a cesspit, given the fact that they have no controls and it's probably one of the only places on the Internet a lot of these scumbags can congregate. But the thing that just strikes me is the fact that um, take someone like Robert Bowers, who existed entirely, by the sounds of it, was a complete loner, spent all of his time on this social media platform. Um, he was pushed into that echo chamber, if you like, um, by the fact there was nowhere else for it to go. Now, mm. am I saying that he was just a sort of lost sheep who, if he'd have been submitted to robust criticism on Twitter, he might not have done it? Of course not. It's a ridiculous thing to suggest. But on the broader scope, insofar as not, as Ella would said, glamorizing these views um, and also just giving people more and more license to feel like they are these kind of rebels, etc., um, I think this discussion is going completely the wrong way they're saying we need to shut down more places on the internet rather than opening it up more broadly and the thing that it also comes down to is when you're having this discussion it's not just those extreme views that get caught in the crossfire it's going to be everyone um, and it's, it's just worrying that in you know America the land of the First Amendment so many people seem so cavalier about giving some of those freedoms. I mean,
2: the the last point to make, and it also is, where does this end? I mean, I was listening to the Today program, and there was a section on the Lewis bonfire, which anyone who doesn't know is a tradition in Lewis in Sussex where they blow up and set fire to effigies of prominent political figures mm. and, and controversial figures. Uh, and this year they're going to blow up boris johnson and john (laughs) Humphreys said don't you think today in a climate at which there's a lot of criticism for people using extreme language against politicians and the dangers of that don't you think this is wrong and the two representatives of lewis laughed at him thankfully but i mean if you get into a situation in which you cannot even light up a joke effigy of a politician for fear of it causing what violence against boris johnson i mean that's the ridiculous place that this discussion ends
0: You're listening to The Spike Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, why not give us a rating and a review? It really helps new listeners find the show. Up next, blasphemy. Asia Bibi, a Christian mother of three, had spent eight years on death row thanks to Pakistan's draconian blasphemy laws. This week, she was acquitted by Pakistan's Supreme Court. Meanwhile, in Europe, Ireland voted overwhelmingly to scrap its constitutional ban on blasphemy, But in the same week, the European Court of Human Rights decreed that an Austrian woman could lawfully be convicted for calling Mohammed a paedophile. First up, let's stick with uh, Pakistan. Mm. Um, Asia Bibi has been acquitted, but this isn't the end of blasphemy convictions by any means for that country, is it?
1: Certainly not. I mean, one of the horrifying things about that entire case is that in fact it sort of brings to light um, how not only are these laws wrong on the face of it and can be incredibly brutal. You know, she spent eight years in prison, um, large parts of it in solitary confinement in Lord knows what conditions and the thing what 's incredibly kind of horrendous about it is it, it Basically, breaks down to a spat that happened between herself, who's a Pakistani Christian, mm. um, and other women over, you know, her supposedly contaminating something they were working with, um, and th- then her allegedly saying something about the prophet. And the more you read about it, the more in ways these laws are actually weaponized in these really kind of spiteful and ultimately kind of barbarous fashion to sort of clamp down on people is really absolutely horrendous. But I think there's a hell of a lot of Western hypocrisy on this. Issue, given the fact that, of course, um, you know, Ireland has just voted by a huge margin. I think it was like 65-35 to repeal its very old blasphemy law. Um, but at the very same time, some of the, in fact, the very same groups who were campaigning um, to have that overturned, like Am- Amnesty Ireland, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, um, in the same press release in the case of the latter, said that we've repealed blasphemy, but free speech is not absolute, and we mm. need to introduce greater hate speech legislation. We also saw, you know, just days before that, the European Court. A human rights rule that an Austrian woman um, was right to be prosecuted in Austria for calling Mohammed a paedophile, and there's a hell of a lot of hypocrisy here. And I think what's, what's interesting is the fact that the, the kind of idea of blasphemy is treated in some Western circles as something which is to almost like sneer at. It's, it's something that backward countries like Ireland have where they're full of all these kind of like mad, backward-looking Catholics who are just clinging onto to their Bibles. And yet there are all these kind of new blasphemies, you know, things to protect from hate speech, or increasingly blasphemy laws which seem to be almost, you know, routinely used to protect Islam from criticism in various European countries and I think it just gets down to the fact that the kind of authoritarian almost theocratic censorship um, that a lot of people in the West like to pretend we left behind is something that is still very much alive and well in different forms and one thing just finally that was quite striking and interesting a bit of historical irony was the fact that asia Bibi was actually convicted under laws which were enacted by the british raj in 1860 um, which were later kind of gold-plated by the um, military dictatorship in the 80s so it just goes to show that the idea that blasphemy that this kind of authoritarian belief that you should just clamp down on dissidents of whatever stripe is something that we've left behind and is just something that the backward peoples of the world cling on to. I think this kind of constellation of stories we've seen recently has sort of shown what a crock that is. Yeah,
0: and, and some examples of the blasphemies being committed in Europe that have, have ended up with people charged with crimes or, or being detained. We had the YouTuber and right-wing activist Lauren Southern was detained under anti-terror laws prevented from entering the UK because she was handing out a leaflet that said Allah is gay. There was a man in Austria just a year before this case of the woman calling Mohammed a paedophile who basically had been arrested for yodelling and his neighbours overheard his yodelling while he was mowing his lawns and they mistook it as mocking the call to prayer and that went to court. And he was issued, you know, a massive fine. These kinds of things can happen all the time. Uh, and, you know, this is supposedly in enlightened Europe.
2: Yeah, supposedly. And if you rewind back 20 years, I can remember Father Ted, the much-loved comedy show, um, which not only was blasphemous, but used to regularly joke about priests being paedophiles, regularly joke about priests being gay and, uh, you know, having an affairs and doing all kinds of horrendous blasphemous stuff. And it was a riot and everyone loved it. But that was taking the mick out of Catholicism. And today it seems that the, the one religion that you really, really can't be blasphemous about uh, is Islam. And importantly in Pakistan, even though Asia Bibi is potentially going to be let go, there are armed guards having to basically protect the, where the Supreme Court is in Islamabad because there are semi-murderous riots trying mm. to get at her. Mm. And Punjab Governor Salman Taseer, who was murdered for speaking out in support of her, his murderer is seen as a kind of martyr and is celebrated. So, you know, you've got these incredibly backward views of religion and backward beliefs that are not being challenged and that same sort of backward idea of the idea that you should be killed for uh, being blasphemous is being echoed not with the same murderous intent but with the same seriousness in supposedly enlightened secular societies in Europe. And if you're not able to sort of draw a link between them, then you're sort of being blind about the seriousness of this.
0: Well, the Pakistani government have said explicitly that they welcomed the European court's uh, ruling. And they have said also that they use European human rights thinking in their use in their application of blasphemy law obviously they ignore the bits that we have against the death penalty and all the other human rights um, issues but the fact is that these give a green light to authoritarian oppressive regimes
1: and they, and they use it all the time if you think about recently the the kind of relationship between western "Quote unquote liberal authoritarianism," if you will, and kind of you know, Middle Eastern, you know, Islamist authoritarianism, as you might put it. Um, they're constantly in conversation with one another. If you think in recent years, there's been all of this hysteria in um, America, Britain, Europe about say something like fake news. Mm. Um, there have been countries around the world which have used exactly the same rhetoric to clamp down on their own critics. You know, they they take the language of the supposedly free world and their own and our own kind of. Um, hypocrisies and blind spots in relation to that and use it to justify their own ends. And I think the other thing that um, you've nodded to, Fraser, is just how feeble and actually counterproductive human rights legislation is in relation to any of this stuff. So, I mean, as everyone talks about, Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights supposedly enshrines our... um, our rights to free speech and free thought. But there are so many qualifications which are applied to it, ranging from everything from in the interest of national security, as well as the protection of public health and morals. Mm. You know, And I think what we really need to recognise is not only do we need to be more principled in our fight for freedom of speech, but also we can't outsource it to these kind of international human rights groups, lawyers, lobbyists, etc, because they don't really believe in free speech either. Um, and it seems like the, the fight for it is, is far more profound than some people would like to pretend.
0: You're listening to The Spike Podcast. Spike has no paywalls and no subscriptions. It's contributions from listeners and readers like you that keeps us fighting for freedom and democracy. If you'd like to support Spiked, just go to spiked-online.com and hit the donate button. Up next, vegans. Magazine editor William Sitwell was hounded from his job following the leak of a private email in which he joked about killing vegans. We know vegans are a sensitive bunch, but what's their beef this time?
2: William Sitwell is an utter moron because... If you are the editor of a magazine sending an email to a journalist uh, and you're the editor of a magazine, which is making a lot of its money off of the whole vegan fascination, then you're, you know, you're an idiot for doing that. And I think it's part of this argument is about what makes good business. However, it was a joke sent in a private capacity and he is like him or someone who's worked at that magazine for 20 years so the idea that he can be ousted despite his experience despite his expertise for a stupid and obviously not serious joke um shows the kind of humorlessness of this particular community if you can call them in society <laughs> i mean humorlessness is central to being vegan it seems but you just cannot accept not only any criticism, but any poking of fun at you in your lifestyle.
1: I think in a way, the the biggest mistake he said was saying that to a vegan, as we say, you know, if he (laughs) said it to anyone else, it probably would have been fine. I mean, we should probably say for the sake of um, being specific that it was a kind of vegan freelance journalist who was pitching on vegan issues, to which he said, um, how about a feature on, you know, killing all vegans and all the rest of it, just for a little bit of context. So it's not big, it's not particularly clever and there is you know you could say that this is a slightly bizarre and niche spat the kind of most bourgeois you've ever seen it's like kind of a vegan twitter mob on one side <laughs> and the, the waitrose magazine editorial board on the other um but it is actually quite important because this sits in a bit of a pattern you know mm. insofar as there's been a number of cases in recent years where someone has been hauled over the coals um, made to step down from various positions for making a joke, you mm. know, I mean, this. if we think about Sir Tim Hunt in 2015, he made a joke about women scientists at a conference in South Korea in a speech, it should be noted, which was l- largely very pro-women scientists. One person took offence, kind of misquoted what he said, and then he was forced to step down from a number of positions. We saw it with the Toby Young situation where, again, his old tweets, during which time he was just a more unabashed provocateur on Twitter, um, were used to make him step down from a position at a government regulator and whilst we could always try and pass these cases individually and we could split hairs about was it a private capacity or a public capacity was talking to someone who was a freelancer etc 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 you can't deny the pattern which is to say that there is this really nefarious relationship going on between small very vocal very intolerant groups whether they're vegan or anything else um, who seem to be able to get quite large companies over a barrel just by nature of how loud they're shouting, you know. And it's, there's something about that which is just really bad for all of us. And I think the other thing is that even though some of those cases are mentioned, you know, the Toby Young case in particular, there was a lot of kind of people on the left who were really kind of piling in on that. As soon as you create this weapon, it's going to be used both ways for people who you might like. You know, the James Gunn case from recently, the um, director of the Guardians of the Galaxy series, who, again, is, was a vehement anti Trumper, so loads of Trumpists went and found some jokes he'd made on Twitter and used them to get him sacked it's just a really sad state of affairs when it feels like people are being this joyless and this censorious that we can't even just let these things slide and they suddenly become these huge kind of you know culture war battles
0: there are also some vegan specific examples aren't there Tom of, of chefs being fired
1: that I think that's another important point actually um is the fact that whilst you know we're talking about someone like William Sitwell he'll find another job He's an old Etonian, very well connected. All Mm. the people coming out in support of him, you get a sense of what part of society he's from. But there are people further down the scale who have actually, and I was shocked to find this when I was researching for a piece I wrote on this, who have been targeted by vegans um, quite mercilessly, it turns out. So there was a case in 2016 where there was a head chef at a hotel in Derby who was on Instagram having an argument with a kind of militant vegan, made a joke about how he likes to kind of spike vegan customers' food with meat. They found out where he worked, bombarded the website with kind of fake one-star reviews, and he lost his job over it. And there was almost exactly the same case um, this year with uh, um, the co-owner of a restaurant in Shropshire. And in these instances, you know, they hadn't actually done anything wrong, and yet people are so willing to give in to the outrage of a group of people who, let's face it, in their kind of organised activist form... Are incredibly shrill and intolerant. Um, So it's it's the thing that we should be concerned about is if, for instance, someone like, to Tim Hunt, a Nobel laureate, or William Sitwell, a very well-connected old Etonian magazine editor, if they can be targeted by this stuff, other people can too.
0: Hello, there's six hundred thousand vegans in the UK. Should they be a protected minority?
2: <laughs> oh, please. They seem to think they are, or they should be. Well, we've just spent, what, 10 minutes talking about blasphemy, and it's like, um, you know, say anything against vegans, you are blaspheming. I mean, it it's not even a, I find it hard to even call it a lifestyle or a belief. It just means that you don't it's eat animal products. Yeah. yeah, it's a diet. I mean, it's the most uninteresting thing. I have yet to meet a vegan who is has actually anything worthwhile to say other than they
0: believe it's very interesting wanting to <laughs> celebrate
2: themselves because they you know haven't eaten an egg this morning but also they have you know fine whatever your choices are at spiked we think people should be free to do whatever they want <laughs> however don't make me care about it and certainly don't try and get people sacked off the back of it i think that you know whatever we think about William well that journalist should feel pretty ashamed of herself for using that private correspondence to get someone sacked it doesn't matter if he's a bajillionaire whatever he is that is pretty despicable
0: you've been listening to the spike podcast if you've enjoyed the podcast why not give us a rating a review or even a donation for more spike content go to spiked-online.com